Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mick Blythe who is a coach and a mentor and he also owns his own facility fairly local to me called Performance 100. So Mick for those of you who for those of the listeners who might not have heard of you could you give us a little bit of a background on your career so far and your experience as a coach and a mentor? Yeah, um, thank you, first of all, for, for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, hello to everyone that's uh, uh, watching and listening. Yeah, so uh, my name is, is Mick Blythe. Um, I've actually been in the kind of sport and exercise industry for a long time now, uh, about 22 years, I think. Um, started uh, way back when, in like 1999, you know, 2000, um, working in commercial gyms while I was at, at college doing all my sports qualifications. Um, did lots of work placements, did lots of junior sports coaching. Um, basically, as, as a kid that, that grew up, you know, sport and exercise mad, I, I just wanted to, to do anything and everything I, I could really, but um, that kind of then led me into a career in teaching, um, teaching PE in junior schools, teaching sports to children with disabilities, and then into full-time college lecturing um, in one place in particular that I spent nearly 10 years there, um, leading up to eventually running the degree program they had there. Um, I was doing teaching for Great Britain Boxing in the build-up to London 2012 at the time when they had guys like Anthony Joshua, and Callum Smith and Natasha Jonas on the, on the books and stuff. Um, but around about 2013, for various reasons, um, I wanted to, to go self-employed. Kind of made a, a decision to do it without anything concrete to go into. Um, and so for a couple of years, I just kind of did, did lots of things and brought it all together. I uh, ran a ice hockey academy in Sheffield. I began doing a lot more teaching for a, a local company called Envisage that teach people to be personal trainers. I was doing strength and conditioning work at Jewsbury Rams rugby league team. I was doing consultancy work, writing work. And within any sort of gaps I had, just filling that with like one-to-one -one clients or like small groups of, of clients. And although that kind of at the time was a bit of a, a time filler, a, a bit of a, a money maker. It, it was just something that, you know, because I'd not done it for so long and, you know, I, I think I didn't work, I, having worked in teaching for so long, you know, liked the kind of personal relationships that that, that gives. It, it just slowly became my kind of full-time job, effectively, yeah. to the point where I then needed to have one central location to do it. So I opened Performance 100 early 2016. Um, I, I, I still do my teaching and consultancy and writing and and other bits and bobs on top of that but um yeah this is kind of where i am now um got two children so I, I try to avoid working weekends as much as i can but monday to friday i'm in my units in rotherham um strength and conditioning personal training mentorship doing my own kind of education workshops and, and stuff like that 
Yeah, that's really cool. And I think when something grows organically like it did for you, it shows that you're really good at what you do. And usually it's because it's spread through like word of mouth. So I decided to get Mick on the podcast today to talk a little bit about some of the things we might need to take into consideration when we are programming for females and talk a little bit about the difference between programming for people with body composition related goals versus programming for performance. So first of all, Mick, with females, do the same basic principles apply in regards to training and nutrition as they do for males? In summary, yes, from, from my perspective. Um, I mean, you know, we share something like 98% of the same genetics with like chimpanzees and bonobos. So, you know, the, the genetic differences between male and females within the same species is, is minutely small. And, and yeah, okay, you know, there are some different things to think about that we'll, that we'll discuss during this, but, you know, there's actually very, very little that I do with males that I don't do with females. You know, how exactly we do it might be a little bit different, but whether male or whether female, we squat, we deadlift, we lunge, we push, we pull, we sprint. Um, you know, the, the nutrition principles of calories, macronutrients, hydration, etc. Maybe for the X, very rare example, or, you know, 0.1%, I, I think as a whole, it's, it's very, very similar, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good and really important to, to recognize that like, you know, if, if someone wants to lose body fat, they still have to get into a calorie deficit, whether they're, they're male or female um, at the yeah. end of the day and whether yeah. they want to build muscle tissue, the yeah. same principles apply. So, yeah, it's really important for people to recognize that. Yeah, um, I mean, to be honest as well, I mean, it's, you know, when I did start, you know, in the late 90s, that's, I mean, that, I genuinely believe that what I've said there and what you've said is right, but, you know, 20 years ago, people did think differently and, you know, males and females would train in very, very different ways. You know, they, they would eat in very, very different ways. They, and I think there was a lot of social pressures there, you know, males kind of had to look one way, females kind of had to look the other way, and, and, and thank God that has changed because that's... That's absolutely not the case. But I, I think the more it's changed, you know, the more people have realized that, it, you know, whether male or female, you, you can do that. You know, it, it doesn't make that much difference, really. Yeah, and I think more females have sort of come to terms with the fact that they can train really hard and they can weight train without absolutely. what they would call, like, getting bulky because it's a really hard process to put absolutely. muscles you yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, and, and I say this, you know, on an almost daily basis, the biggest difference I've seen in the industry in 20 odd years is the um, attitudes towards female training and, and, and what females themselves now do and believe they, they can do because it, it was very, very different, you know, in, yeah. in the late 90s. It really, really was. But you know, thank goodness it's different now. Yeah. 
And so what additional factors might we need to consider or take into account when we are programming females training? Because although the basic principles still apply, there might yeah. be some differences. Yeah, listen, and they are, and um, there, are, there are, of course, outliers. And, and, and if you are a female or male listening to this and these exact things don't apply to you, that's always going to be the case. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the big ones, certainly with, with the sort of athletes that I work with, from a female perspective, is that quite often they've got things like smaller hands, you know, on average. Females are smaller than males, so it makes sense that the hands are smaller. And um, you know, I—I I mean, it's—it's it's a very strange route into figure skating because I'm not a figure skater. I think you can probably tell that straight away. But I do a lot of work in figure skating, and and the ladies that I work with there are—they're incredible. They're incredible athletes. They're incredible people. Um, because of their sport and maybe genetics, it's why they do that sport. They've got incredibly strong and powerful legs, but they've got very small hands. And it's the smallness of the hands then that actually limits them on things like deadlifts. And they will say it all the time. I've got to stop, Mick, because my hands are killing. I can't really feel it on my legs. It's my hands. And, you know, I, I can try to make people's hands and grips stronger and better, but I can't make the hands bigger. I don't think any coach can do that really can they yeah. so um you know they, it, it's stuff like that you know it, it's the application of, of things like that, that that you have to just deal with i mean females have got breasts you know so you know when you're doing something like a bench row or a, or a seated row they can get in the way and i fully believe them when they tell me it's a very painful experience when they get in the way um females have got uh, wider hips, which is great in some ways because it, it means they've got a lot more muscle mass, hence the strength and the power in the lower body. But those wider hips then increases the angle from the hip down to the foot that needs to plant under a center of the gravity. It, it, it increases what's called the Q angle, which can then make them a little bit weaker in some movements. And stuff like sprinting and jumping slightly more dangerous. Um, but on, on the flip side, as a whole, females are far more flexible and mobile than men on a whole, which is great. They can hit squat depths like that, whereas us men sometimes can't. You know, women have just got so much more rhythm and flow and musicality and, and, and all these things. So, um, there's pros and cons to it. There's pros and cons, but the job of a coach is to work around all those things, isn't it? You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, that, that goes for anyone, not just like male and female. Like you said, everyone's different in many different ways. And even amongst females themselves, there can be huge like variation between individuals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just a thing, just like... Anything is with, with a client. Some clients can train seven days a week. Some can only train once a week. Some have got lots of disposable income to spend on additional programs and supplements and all these sorts of things. Some have not. You, you just address it and you just deal with it the yeah. same, really. You know, it, it is what it is. 
Do you find that most of your female clients or athletes can handle a little bit more training volume than most of your male clients or athletes? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did. Females sometimes have got like superhuman recovery. It's it's crazy. They'll they'll work to fatigue. They'll work to the max, and you know that from all the usual parameters that show you they're working to the max. But you know, a minute later, they're, they're good to go. And not only are they good to go, they're able to repeat the same level of work than they did before. And that, that proves that they're fully recovered. Um, us men, we, we, we take longer. Um, and again, th th there's factors for that. That could be physiology, that could be psychology, it could be you know the recruitment of muscle fibers you use, it, it could be just size. Again, on average, males are bigger. So it, that might mean that when they're doing their sprints, they're having to carry more load and that increases more fatigue. Who knows? But um, again, yeah, it's, it's, it's just something that, that, you, that you factor in. Um, yeah. And that might be as simple as, okay, this male, you will do four sets of this exercise. Female, you may do five exercise, uh, five rounds of it, five exercises of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And anecdotally, have you found any common psychological differences between male and female when it comes to sort of preferences or to adherence? Yeah, again, um, I think, I think probably because they are a little bit better at it overall. You know, females are generally more drawn towards kind of higher volume systems and, and, and protocols. Um, I think female clients as a whole certainly favor more socially focused sessions. I'm not saying females like to talk a lot, but they, 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 they like to, I kind of ram, sorry, that's expense. Um, but they, they, they do, do enjoy that more social contact, that interaction. Um, you know, in my experience, you know, males are, are less drawn to stuff like that. I think they, as a whole, more prefer the, the strength, out and out, power type exercises and systems. Um, I, I do think as well, um, female, uh, sorry, males just seem to have a little bit more, just like raw regression to the training. That's probably a male ego thing. In fact, it absolutely is. But, you know, males often will always try and go heavier and do one extra rep. You know, it's that whole alpha male thing, isn't it? Where females sometimes a little bit more conservative, but, um, Again, there's, there's pros and cons for that. Just because you, you're going for that extra weight or extra rep doesn't mean it's a good extra rep, does it? Um, you know, sometimes there is benefits just to having a, a rep or two in reserve. But um, coaching styles as, as, as well, I think probably because of that natural inclination to, to, to more social type activities, in my experience, females usually respond better to a, an empathetic, a democratic coaching style where males sometimes it's a bit more of a an autocratic type type one um but again i think that's just a bit of a male ego thing into that we all suffer from sometimes
yeah definitely and because you because of the different sort of character traits of males versus females like you said men tend to be a little bit more potentially aggressive and powerful in the gym and tend to want to push their boundaries do you often have to find with females that you have to really sort of coach them to push their limits a little bit more yeah yeah it's absolutely um it's I, I mean, I mean, ultimately, it's it's hard to do sometimes because if, like as I said, males are, are naturally more inclined to the, the raw strength and the the more raw power side of it, you know, when they're hitting a three, four, five rep max, they they stop at five reps because they physically have to stop at five. They they just can't lift anymore. But sometimes if females are doing slightly lighter loads, slightly more higher volume approaches, which they are overall better at, sometimes then they, they stop at 10 reps or 15 reps or 20 reps because they just get a little bit bored of the exercise or they, they just like the synchronization of five sets of 20 as opposed to it being okay to do a 20, an 18, a 21, a 17, a 10, or whatever else. And so, so that, 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 you're right, that, that does need a little bit of coaching, you know, and a reminder that, okay, I'm saying going for 15 reps here, but that is the minimum. You're gonna do more if you can. Or if they can hit 15 reps easy, it's now time to go heavier. And that heavier might mean it drops now to 12, but, but that's okay. Um, but again, I, I think certainly for a lot of slightly older females that, that I, I work with that have kind of come from the environment of 20 years ago where females only did higher volume training, they only did smaller weights, etc. I, I do just think a lot of that is, is more ingrained, but um, thankfully with the kind of younger females that I'm working with who've only ever known this you know new approach I think they are a little bit more confident you know in going heavier less reps rep range has been a little bit more inconsistent but um, if not yeah it's coach you advise and you just explain the reasons behind it ultimately yeah definitely um, and so when it comes to nutrition, are there any additional factors we might need to take into account with females in comparison to males when we're programming their nutrition protocols? Yeah, I, I mean, we said already, you know, um, the calorie equation still holds true, surplus, deficit, and the response it has. Um, macronutrients, you know, you, you need your balance and all your, uh, your micronutrients and hydration on top of that. But I mean, I, I think the big one is the total amount of calories that, that kind of need to be consumed. Um, on average, females are smaller than males, and in some cases, far smaller. Um, you know, again, a lot of the figure skaters that, that I work with, they are quite naturally slight individuals. Um, and although they train an awful lot, ultimately because they need to be as strong on ice, but as light as possible, and there are aesthetic pressures as well, 
ultimately becomes very, very hard to find the right sort of calorie balance for them because they, they've kind of got to eat enough calories to perform, but knowing that if they have too much, then that can lead to calorie surplus and, and weight gain. And I, I think physically and psychologically that can, that can cause problems. Yeah. Um, I mean, some females that I work with in a purely aesthetic background who might only train two or three times a week and have perhaps got a job where they sat down a lot and they're naturally quite small. I dread, I honestly dread typing all the numbers in and then telling them how many calories they've got to eat to achieve a deficit and lose weight because the number is just awfully small. Um, and ultimately then, if someone's having to eat a very small number of calories a day to be in a deficit to lose weight, that's just very, very hard to do, isn't it? You know, you, you can have a, a low-calorie, healthy breakfast, and that can still easily be four, fifty, five hundred 500 calories, can't it? Yeah. Um, you know, that then means that straight away they're under pressure throughout the rest of the day to eat whatever. If they have a, a cheap meal, a weekend off, a night out, the amount of calories in that, that's so much greater than what they should be having, that then far easier blunts the effectiveness of the other six and a half days that they've had. Yeah. Um, some males who, they might again only train two or three times a week, they, they've got bigger frames you know, they're almost certainly more likely to be doing something that resembles at least a semi-manual labor job. Um, apologies if this comes across as sexist, it's not the intention at all, but within a household, by and large, it's the man that does the manual labor-esque jobs, that, that maybe walks the dog ball, that maybe plays sport with the kids more. So in summary, males, despite monitoring two or three times a week still, They've got scope to still eat more calories. They've got more scope to eat and drink the foods that they want. If they have a pizza on a Saturday night, that has less impact upon the total weekly calorie intake as opposed to that would do to, to a female. Um, and that's, you know, listen, that's, that is hard, isn't it? That's, that's hard. Um, unfortunately, females do feel the social pressure of weight gain, I think a little bit more than men. You know, some females, very sadly, they are still transfixed by what the scales say. And it doesn't matter if they've lifted more in the previous training session. It doesn't matter if the clothes fit better, if the photos look better, if someone said that day, wow, you're looking great if they get on the scales and the numbers have perhaps gone up, although that confirms body composition changes, that can absolutely ruin their day, can't it? Yeah. Um, you know, menstrual cycles as well. You know, us men think we know about that from a scientific perspective, but we don't really. We only know it from what we've read. We don't understand it firsthand. You know, yeah. we don't understand how that makes women feel. We don't understand how the weight gain and the bloating and the sugar cravings uh, affect females. Um, 
and so yeah you know th- these are all things to to, to think about yeah um, and when it comes to nutrition, Mick, with your female clients, do you usually take a sort of like macro tracking or calorie calorie monitoring approach for them to um, monitor their nutrition? Um, yeah, so, so you know, calories is the, is the key thing. You know, calories is the key thing, obviously. The, the thing with performance clients is, you know, by definition, they are training hard and they are training very very regular so some of the skaters that i work with they can train four times a day almost every day you know and brutal long hard training sessions um you know i'm currently preparing females to join the ref the fire service the police service and other you know elite branches of, of the military as well so similar training multiple times a day so the the thing with the performance client is we, we want aesthetic changes, you know, we, we want them to look great and, and feel great, but by definition, it is all about performance in their specific area. So um, the skaters that I work with, they're in incredible shape, phenomenal shape, but if they're not skating well, they're not getting better and I'm not doing my job. So ultimately, we, we have to make sure that there is sufficient calories to train, but be fresh for training, learn, rest, recover. And if they do get injured or ill, um, get better as quick as possible. So we have to get the calories in, but then that has to come ideally from the correct breakdown of, of macronutrients. Um, for me, an almost by and large equal split across whatever calorie requirements they're in. Carbs have got to be sufficiently high to train. Protein's got to be sufficiently high to recover. And then fat, particularly for females, has got to be sufficiently high for all the the kind of health implications along that. I'm not saying 33% across all three, but there's certainly no one macronutrient that's a bystander it's yeah. you know fairly high amounts of, of each one yeah and with your performance clients who might train several times a day for example the figure skaters that you work with do you ever take an approach where they maybe have like higher calories on those training days where they're where they're training several times and then lower calories throughout the rest of the week Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I mean, routinely, routinely, and um, you know, the, the, the girls will tell you that on a, a, I have like a, a group of them on a Friday. Um, Friday, end of the week, they might have just done the 15th or 16th session. You know, they've trained really hard on me. I will tell them, look, I mean, they don't always take me up on it, but look, go to Greg's, you know, have a donut, have a sausage roll. You know what? Have whatever you want because you've exhausted your body so much that you need not just energy, but you need something to help de-stress and, and help you yeah. sleep tonight. So in that way, yeah, on the back of very busy periods, eat more and overall don't particularly worry about where it comes from. Get something that you enjoy. But I, I, I'm not for performance. Because ultimately, there is usually something happening every day. It is, by and large, a very consistent yeah. um, calorie amount across the day. Because if they're not training, 
we want them to recover. Maybe if they're not doing a, an actual recovery session, they might be doing a, a theoretical, technical or tactical one. So again, they need to be alert and bright to, to respond to that. So yeah, natural days where yeah, have more, or maybe if they have gained a little bit of weight or they're feeling a little bit bloated, then we might have a, a lighter couple of days. But um, throughout the course of the week, the, the calorie is largely consistent-ish. Yeah. That's cool. And so going back to the menstrual cycle, when it comes to nutrition, is there anything that you would specifically implement around the menstrual cycle to sort of like cater for that? Again, yes, yes and no. Um, I mean, again, for the record, I'm never going to claim to be an expert on it because I've never undergone it. But what, what my anecdotal observations of females in the menstrual cycle is, is that they can still train very, very hard during the menstrual cycle. Uh, and I've got on my laptop hundreds and hundreds of female training programs. And if I were to put all their training data into graphs, it would be very, 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 very hard to identify then where their cycle was. Because overall, things are Linear, strength, reps, recovery, sport performance, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that for a week or two a month, training doesn't feel as nice, it doesn't feel as enjoyable, there are just specific exercises that they just don't respond well to, that is also very obvious and apparent, as is certain cravings, and the wanting more of, of foods. And, and again, whether that's the craving sugary, carbohydrate-dense foods, from an energetic perspective, the body knows it wants more energy, whether it's a way of monitoring mood or improving sleep. Again, who knows, I'm not the expert. But listen, if people feel that they want to eat more, I'm gonna let them eat more. They, they, they can do it. I mean, I, I will never tell any individual how they should and shouldn't eat. Certainly, I'm not going to tell someone what should and shouldn't eat during a cycle that I have never actually undergone and gone through. And, and ultimately, with my performance clients, they do train so hard and so regular. And even during the menstrual cycle, they do stick with it and they do still do it, if that night they want to have something that physically and mentally makes them feel better, they can do it for me. Now, if, and, and this is very, 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 very rarely the case, very rarely the case, but if with my performance client there is an issue with body weight or body fat and it is going up, then I might advise against it or if very unfortunately menstrual cycle happens to be clashing with a competition, you know, again, I might advise against it, but um, overall, I'm going to say, look, I trust you, trust your instinct, you're experiencing something that I never experienced, you know, just, just be smart with it, you know, just be yeah. smart with it. And if that then means that in a few days time, we have to rein it in a bit, you know, get fully back on track, then do so. But uh, yeah. I trust them. I, I trust their call, yeah. 
I generally think that's a really good approach and like even you know I'd never implement anything like that straight off the bat unless I knew that it was 100% necessary so if like a client came to me and they said look I really struggle around the time of the month my cravings are really bad I get super hungry then yeah I might say to them you know at the time of the month have a couple of hundred extra calories and you can have whatever you want from those extra calories but unless someone makes me aware that it's a problem straight off the bat or unless I see that it's a problem throughout the process, I won't just say to them, look, you need to do X, Y, and Z because you have a period because not everyone yeah. might need to implement those things. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it becomes same as anything, same as anything. It, it becomes a, a self fulfilling prophecy. And this is not a criticism of, of people that, feel they have to eat more during the menstrual cycle. It, it's just a, a social phenomenon. We all do it ourselves. You know, anyone that knows me will tell you that I'm an absolute technophobe. But because I'm a technophobe and I don't like it, and I tell myself I'm not going to be good at it, I don't get better at it because I don't do it. And, and, and we see that in lots and lots of things within the sport and exercise industry. We tell ourselves we aren't strong enough, so we don't lift heavy enough weight, so we don't get strong enough. Um, if we tell ourselves going into a competition or event, oh, I'm not as good as my competitors, I shouldn't be here, you perform badly. And yeah. so that, it, that becomes the learned behavior. If females are constantly told that during your menstrual cycle, your performance is going to drop. You're going to hate every minute of it, and you've got to eat, eat more food. That then becomes a learned behavior. And that could well be the case for lots of females, and I'm sure it is. But, as you know, and as my training data shows, performance doesn't have to drop during a menstrual cycle. You know, you don't have to eat more food. But if someone does, they do. But if they're okay without it, they don't have to do it, do they? They don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in reality, anyway, you know, the, the actual increase in the amount of energy required when it does increase at the time of the month is very minimal. It's only a couple of hundred calories, if that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so when it comes to programming from a training perspective for your female clients, what are the main differences, if any, between your performance clients and your clients just working to manipulate their body composition? Yeah, so again, lots of similarities, you know, lots of similarities. Um, sessions are always hard. Um, you know, I'm... I'm called Mick Blythe Performance at Performance 100 because I, I, I like to think of myself as a, as a performance coach. Um, so sessions are always hard. They're, of course, planned. They're, they're progressive. They are individually specific. Um, a lot of focus on supporting health. doesn't matter whether you're performance or aesthetic. If you're injured or ill, you ain't training and you ain't getting better. Um, and lots and lots of very, very similar exercises. The kind of main differences though, is that I think I mentioned it at the start, when you are working with an athlete or you're working with someone that wants to get into the armed forces or military or whatever, how good they are in the gym, how good they look is not the be all and end all. 
it, it's a very good indication that people are getting better if the squat one rep max has gone up and they've now got a more toned core. But that doesn't mean that someone's going to win the figure skating competition. That doesn't mean that someone's going to move into the first team of their football team. It doesn't mean they're going to get into the Marines or the fire service. So the main difference is, is that progress improvement is based upon how well they are doing in their chosen event yeah. or performance. And Eliza's mentioned, getting better in the gym, getting a better body shape is a good indication of that, but it's not the be all and end all. And so I, I always strive to get a lot of feedback from the athlete or client themselves. Sometimes, again, using skating as, a, as an example, I am just one coach amongst a number of three, four, five coaches. And so if a skater's technical coach tells me that they need to get their vertical jump higher, the focus will switch to that. Um, if I'm training someone for the Royal Marines and she tells me that her pull-ups are not as good as they should be, the focus switches more to that. Because yeah. it doesn't matter if she's got an eight-pack, she can't do pull-ups, she don't get in. It's as simple as that. And, and, and so things then become a lot more event and sport specific in, in how we do stuff. There's a lot more coaching cues. Um, there's a lot more application of psychological skills. When you are doing a back squat with, a, with an aesthetic client, you know, the focus will perhaps be more on slower tempo and, and you know, mind-muscle connection and these sorts of things. But with a skater, we want them to move that load at speed and pace and aggression. So there's lots of visualization references to imagine yourself on ice, you know, jump like you would on ice and, you know, all, all these sorts of things. Just training the body at more as like one combined unit. So not, not doing a squat to work on specific muscles, quadriceps, glutes, etc. doing it to get them better at vertical propulsion or a deadlift for horizontal propulsion yeah. or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, and just understanding as well that if you are working with athletes, any periodization you do, it's always going to be very non-linear because they might, their skating schedule might have changed. So then you have to change what you do. They might turn up and they've tweaked a calf muscle uh, training that morning. So you have to train, uh, change accordingly. And, you know, just, just an acceptance that, that stuff changes. Um, you know, metaphorically speaking, always planning in pencil. You know, when you're working with a, a general population, aesthetic client, you know, very, very rarely they're going to turn up and go, I can't do that today. Or... If I do that, how's that going to affect me tomorrow? Because yeah. it doesn't really matter if the legs hurt tomorrow. They've not really got to use them that much. But if my skater's legs hurt tomorrow, and then that means that they have a lesson session on ice, I'm not getting them better at their sport. You know, the, the legs might look great, but that's not the be-all and end-all. Them getting better at their sport is...
Yeah. And so with all of that in mind, you have sort of touched on this a little bit, but how might the way that you track progress be different between a body composition client versus a performance client? Um, so again, again, lots of similarities. Um, you know, we, we want to know how they're getting stronger. Um, that's done via the tracking of loads and reps in gyms. Um, there might be some specific fitness tests that they might do. Again, like I mentioned, body composition isn't everything for an athlete, but it does tell you that what you're doing is, is right. So in, in those cases, very, very similar, you know, very, very similar. But it's, it's all about the performance. It, it's all about, you know, the end result. Um, do they feel better in their said sport? Are their coaches happy with the feedback? Are they actually doing better in competitions? Etc. Um, are they moving up through competitive levels? Are they getting injured less? Another huge role of a strength conditioning coach is making people bulletproof, you know, reducing the risk of them getting injured. And if they do, then getting them back to full fitness as much as possible. You know, the skaters, I don't know why, they hate doing press ups. Anyone that's going to be listening will be going, yeah, I hate press ups. But we do a lot of press-ups because if and when they fall on ice, and it does happen, often what touches the ground first? It's the arm, you know? So we, we want to make their body good at impacting force. We want to strengthen these areas. And if they do fall down on ice, we want them to pop up as quick and as effortless as we can. So there's always kind of those sorts of things in play. But... Um, Again, it's all about performance. Got an eight pack, yeah. brilliant, well done. That looks great. Are you getting better? Are you getting better on ice? Are you getting better on the football pitch? Are you going to actually get into the police, fire service, marines, or whatever? Because that's the that's the key thing. Yeah, and when it comes to measuring body composition for your clients who want to manipulate that, what tools do you usually utilise? So for like aesthetic clients yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah. So again, you know, nothing too fancy, you know, just, just the norm, what, what most people would do. Um, um, body fat measurements in, in some cases. I mean, you'll know there's, there's pros and cons of all body fat type measurements. Um, before, after photographs, clothes fittings, measurements, um, their appearances, you know, how other people think. Just a whole triangulation of things. Weight as well. I mean, weight only tells one snapshot, but it is an important measurement nonetheless. Um, yeah. and, and just, um, we, we, we try not to get obsessive about it, um, but just, just a whole triangulation of things. And that's the thing that if, if you do only rely on weight, that only tells you one picture, but if someone gets on the scales and they've got heavier and they are disappointed with that because they want to get lighter, if then you can show them the measurements, the, the body fat scores, how clothes are fitting, um, you know, before and after photographs, it then goes a long way to proving, you know, or explaining the reasons behind any kind of 
weight loss they might have had. Um, alongside having a good relationship with your client as well. Um, finding out when the menstrual cycle is, you know, making notes on the programs, um, making sure there's transparency or enough transparency into people's social lives and private lives. You know, if you are going to have a weekend away, brilliant, enjoy yourself, but make sure you tell me, you know, what you've had because I need to know that because if you get on the scales a week later and you've gained weight, that's then an easy explanation of why. Um, yeah. But, you know, trust and relationships, they, they take time to, to foster, don't they? It's not, a, it's not an overnight thing, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. That's all been so useful, Mick, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to benefit from this podcast. And, you know, just to summarise it, to, it comes down to the fact that a lot of the, the basic principles are the same, whether you are male or female, and a lot of the same principles apply whether you are training for performance or whether you're training to manipulate your body composition. There's just a few slight differences there which we need to take into account. To sort of wrap up, Mick, if you could give sort of any tips for females, for women getting into training, wanting to progress with their body composition, wanting to progress with their performance, what would your like number one tip be? Lift heavier, get stronger, get stronger. Escape the very old school, incorrect view that females need to lift, lift lighter. Um, strength training is hard in some ways. It's a very daunting psychological experience to get underneath the back squat and hit a five, six rep max. It's, it's quite scary at times. But just getting stronger, hitting big numbers, it, it, it just feels brilliant. It, it releases feelings and emotions that I don't think any other form of training do. And the thing with strength training is, or like, you know, proper strength training. Strength underpins every other component of fitness. Yeah. So if you get stronger, even then when you do your conditioning work, you can lift heavier weights in it. So then that makes the conditioning sessions more effective and it's got more transference across to fitness, fat loss, muscle gain, whatever. Regardless of what sport you play, it makes you run quicker, jump higher, land more solid. It reduces the odds of you getting injured. If you do get injured, it speeds recovery. It, it densifies bones, tendons, ligaments. You know, you, you name it. You know, you, you, you absolute name it. And uh, that's why down here, you know, with my female clients, even if they have got small hands, and it becomes an issue. Even if breasts do get in the way in certain exercises, even if it is during their menstrual cycle, the focus is always, can we do a couple more reps? Can we go a dumbbell heavier? If they don't think they can, just trying to put the psychological foundations in there to, to do it. Just giving them the belief and the trust, the faith in they're doing it. And when they say, like you said, I'm not going to get bulky, am I? Tell them, no, if it were that easy, every man in the world 
we'll be like Mr. Olympia because all we want to do is get bigger. Yeah. But it's not that easy, is it? It, it? It's not that easy, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that's but, an incredible you know. message, Mick. And where can people find you if they want to contact you on social media and on your website, etc.? Uh, so I'm on um, Facebook and Instagram as Mick Blythe Performance. Um, as I said, I'm an absolute technophobe. So that's that's all the social media I I can handle. That I'm not on TikTok or Snapchat <laughs> or the other platforms that I don't even know about. Um, Mick Blythe Performance on Facebook um, or Instagram. Yeah, and if anyone's got any additional questions, then just uh, pop them on there and I, I will respond, I promise. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Mick. And thank you for listening, guys. I will see you next week.